welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. And we're rolling. Clink. Cheers. Cheers. That's that's only part of a cat lady. I mean, obviously. Yeah, that's just the one. Well, it's the critical part. It is. It without, is. Without the red wine, the cat lady is not that ridiculous. <laughs> right? It's just red wine. It's yeah. like tequila and Red Bull. Yep. That's normal. I mean, that's yep. like Red Bull and vodka. It's not too crazy. Yeah. You pour the red wine in there, and you're like, what Now are you're doing? just desperate. <laughs> <laughs> Now you're just like everyone shows up to a party with what they found in their parents' refrigerator. Yeah. And then the cat lady appears. Have you ever made one of those since then? Yeah, a lot. <laughs> I've turned <laughs> I turn people onto it all the time. That day was so ridiculous. I've gone into bars where people recognize me and then they the waitress comes over and says the bartender would like to give you this cat lady and I'm like, <laughs> What? <laughs> For yeah. people who don't know what we're talking about, the Cat Lady was a drink that John invented two years ago in Lanai. Two years ago? Yeah, I think it was two yeah, years ago. Not last year, the year before that. Two it, years ago. Yep. And it, we were, it was Shane Dorian, Sam Sohalt, Ben O'Brien, John. Remy me, had Remy, left. Yeah, Remy, Remy had, had left. left. He didn't get to enjoy it. And that was the first. We did a podcast in my suite. And we just went into the mini bar and we just grabbed everything. <laughs> I don't know about this wee stuff. You came with the full bear hug of just, I could hear clanging happening. And you just dropped it in the middle of the table. Like, this is what we got. Yeah, you're like, hey, let's podcast. And that's where it all started. It by, the, fun. by the end, I just was kind of grabbing. I think I was consuming more than most, so I was just reaching around trying to take whatever was left, and then you're like, what the hell are you pouring? So that was our first year doing this trip, and uh, this year was our third. And, man, it is it is an aw- First of all, it's an awesome place to get ready for, like, elk. To get I think ready. to get ready for anything. anything. Yeah. Anything. If you can successfully, especially if someone's wanting to know – like where they rate. I remember last year when I elk hunted with Andy, I told Andy when we were in Montana (coughs) that this time I'm going to be limited on how much I can hunt with you. Like we'll both go opposite directions. And then after I think two days, Andy said, okay, I realize now how much of my success before was hinging on you navigating me in these like small moments that I didn't really realize how important they were. Mm. And I think if you can come here and if you can do you, like if your guide can get you close, but then you just say, I'm going to test only myself from here in, Mm. like from the 250 yard mark in, if you can get it done on an axis here, you can get anything done. Yeah. That's black belt bow hunting skills. Yeah. I think that's black belt skills. Especially if you're taking a large, long shot and you manage to crawl into place. Because a lot of it is crawling. If you plan on coming out here, folks, bring some knee pads. Luckily, our Sitka gear uh, pants have built-in knee pads, yep. which are excellent. But if you, if, you, if you use a different kind of camo 
first of all, you shouldn't. And second <laughs> of all, if you do use a different kind of camo, better get some knee pads. Just the pattern itself looked amazing. Amazing. Like when we were glassing across, when I would glass and look at you, or when I'd look back, you blend it. I mean, it worked really well. It works great everywhere. The subalpine is yes. the bomb. It's the bomb. I've used a lot of different camo, trying different stuff out. And, uh, you know, I really love uh, First Light. They make good stuff. Um, but Sitka's the best. They're the best. They, they just take everything above and beyond. Everything is one step better. You everything know what's funny? They won't, they won't come out and publicly say that subalpine is effective for, like, whitetail or turkeys because the gore... The gore methodology, uh, I don't know if I said that right, but they have a protocol of having their tests to prove things or be able to make a statement are very vigorous mm. for gore. So because they've never truly tested subalpine to a turkey's vision, they won't come out and publicly say that it's effective for turkeys, even though I can tell you it definitely is. Early season whitetails midway through the season for whitetails 100% effective but what it was truly tested for was subalpine it was like tested for hunting big game and so they'll say that but I can tell you if there's any type of foliage that has a hint of green in it it is effective it just breaks everything up so good like when we were at Utah hunting elk oh I mean, you just blend right in man I would vanish. look back a few times and I could I I couldn't tell where you were. In the even in those poplars where there yeah. was some white and black speckle, it looked amazing. Yeah, it's a perfect breakup pattern. You just you don't see the, the the human form. For here what matters most is movement and I guess what the environment haha. Now Jeez. we have a something a little different. Margarita. <clears throat> yep, that'll work. Yeah, the um movement is big but i became an even bigger believer in the hex suit while i was here when we had that bird fly <laughs> by and just land right behind us i was like dude what is wrong with this bird he was he right had in no our idea we were there yeah he was right in our business yeah we were just sitting there and this bird just flew by and landed right next to us and started tweeting away letting us know i think you said you go what's this thing doing and i just looked at you i'm like that's what things do with the hex squirrels jump on my shoulders <laughs> Birds, like, try to land on me. Yeah. What will wig you out is when owls, when I'm in a whitetail stand, and owls will come in and be, like, cupped, going to land on your shoulder. If it's a small bird, I'll let them do it. If it's a squirrel, I'm like, get on there, dude. I'll, I'll do that. When it's got talons, I'm like, whoa, like, <laughs> back off, bro. But I've had several owls just kind of come flying in. They cup up, and they're just going to land on my shoulder, and I, I have to just wimp out just so the hex suit for people who don't know h-e-c-s the hex suit breaks up it, it it blocks your electrical signal right the electromagnetic signal that your body gives off yep yep and it's been proven to work on fish and it's been proven to work on what other animals fish is tested for sure birds for sure because migratory birds have had tons of tons of like I think I sh shouldn't say federal, but like granted tests to track migratory birds and how they see. And it's proven that birds do see in electronic fields. So mm. for birds, they say that it's in incredibly effective because like that's why they've got all that footage being able to crawl out on 
geese and people shooting turkeys from just sitting next to nothing just you know being able to do it but for those it's really important that your hands and your face mask and everything are fully covered with the hex where honestly i'm going with the major muscle groups for my stuff i wear the top and the bottom for small game and big game and I'm a believer, man. Some Especially people are still, still, still skeptical, though, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, some people say, hey, it, you know, it seems like it, you're selling snake oil. And I'm like, I, I get it. I get it. You know, I, I understand what you're saying. All I can tell you, tell you is, like, with bears, they're predatory animals. With bears, my encounters with them has just been weird, you know, how well it works. But then if my camera guy doesn't have it, it seems like... I'm picked off more. Mm. So I definitely feel like when I've been in my one-on-one situations and I'm fully, you know, fully clothed in it, I wear it all the time. I mean, I, I guess it'd be easy for me not to, but I always do. I mean, I, I'm a believer in it for sure. Yeah, I became more of a believer this trip. I felt like there was too many moments, too, where deer were staring at us. And they just didn't know what the hell we were when it's like some of the times in the past when i wasn't wearing it the same sort of situation the deer would start blowing and then they would take off they'd, yeah. and they'd take <laughs> off they yeah. make that crazy barking noise and they took off when you when <coughs> we got up to your deer and where we you know were kind of his final resting place where we took pictures and stuff did you ever look back to the tree that we were for those of you who want to know, we're actually on our flight back. This is a, a flight podcast. <laughs> Everyone around is like, what's going on? Not, no, we're just podcasting, folks. Um, did you look back at that tree and see how small that tree really was, yeah, dude? Yeah, pretty small. Uh, imagine me and Joe Rogan tucked up ag- next to kind of a bonsai tree. <laughs> <laughs> And we had a crawl. I mean, yeah. about 80, 90 yards to get to it. 80 or 90 yards crawling. And we get to this tree. And I I kind of grab the base of the tree. And I'm trying to shimmy up the tree just enough. And I figured there was going to be a few axis there. And that's the thing with axis. When they're bedded, you might see one or two that's standing up at the time. But once I got there, I looked back at you. And I'm, like, giving this signal, like, Dude, like, don't crawl, but, like, on your belly, scoot. Like, just use your fingertips and your nails and, like, pull yourself to me. Because <laughs> we, the, the, our cover was probably only two feet tall. And with you, with the backpack on, that was about all you could spare was just laying flat to your stomach yeah. and crawl up to me. And then you got behind me and used me as a blocker to come up. And how many deer? How many deer were within eighty yards of us? It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. They and were everywhere. When, when I shot the deer, that's when we really realized how many there were. Oh, geez. A lot of them popped up. Yeah, <coughs> tons. It was pretty crazy. So let's talk about your shot first. Yeah. Because that was honestly that was the highlight of the whole trip for me was just hearing that sound. We had the sun hard at our back. I couldn't really see. I was trying to film, so I couldn't really see where your arrow went. I just could see, I could see that broadhead like right past my shoulder, and I was looking at the tip of your broadhead and seeing how still it was. I was like referencing it 
on something that was behind it and you were just stable and I could see your broadhead coming back, 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 back on the rest. So I knew you were just pulling on that silverback just sl slow and sweet. And as soon as I heard it go, I just looked right at the axis and I heard that sound that just, I knew it had found the honey spot. Well, I committed 100% to the silverback last year when um, when I hunted here, I was using uh, I was using a thumb trigger, and which is great, but these deer are so skittish and these moments are so so adrenaline filled. I felt like I made a decision. I'm like, look, I shoot super accurate with the silverback. Why won't I hunt with it? Like, what am I thinking? Am I thinking that I need to make it go off quick? Like, what am I thinking? I'm just going to go to 100% silverback. And I'm super glad that I did because I shot my uh, elk last year in Utah with a silverback. I shot that amazing elk at Tejon Ranch, which is like the furthest I've ever shot an animal. 75 yards, perfect shot in the heart, silverback. I practice with a silverback. I don't practice with anything else. Yeah. And sometimes I'll practice with a knock to it. But I use a silverback so much, I don't even think about punching the trigger. Yeah. I don't even think about it. I just put my thumb there and I pull through it the same way I do with, it, with, with a silverback. That's how it is. People don't realize that there's this window when you have one thing that you really like and you feel comfortable with and you feel like you have control over, which yeah. let's just say it's the knock to it or, or an index finger wrist strap release. And then... Yeah, you learn with the silverback and you realize, okay, this is a good training aid. And you're kind of afraid to lose that last little bit of control that you have. But there's that window that if you can push through that, you forget about that feeling. And you just realize this is like you, you almost realize there is no other option. This yeah. is just what I shoot with. Yeah. This is all I use every day. Plus, I can make it go off in a second or two seconds. Once you learn it, yeah. right? It's all in It's all in the scapula. It's all in that... Preload. Yeah, it's all in that muscle in the middle of the back, the rhomboids. That's, it's all in that. And I, I, I shoot with it so much. You know, I, I have that archery range at my studio, and I'm just constantly shooting. I get there before work. I shoot. After work, I shoot. Just constantly shooting, constantly shooting with that thing. So my body knows exactly what to do. That was one of the most satisfying things about this trip. Like even the shots that I missed, and I missed a couple shots because these animals are so fast. And we took some, you know, long shots. And one of them was 80 something yards, and the arrow was perfectly on track for the boiler <laughs> it room. It was. But that thing saw the arrow or heard the arrow and just like, boink, see ya. They're I, so fast. The one thing that's different with Axis is I don't think Axis try to locate a sound and then decide whether or not that sound is dangerous or not with most animals what i found is the first reaction is to pinpoint where a foreign sound came from and once they're locked onto that if there's anything following that then now they they kind of react like a fight or flight thing so i've had and i can see this a lot in video footage like with elk, where they'll hear the bow and they'll turn and look to where a bow went off. But if they don't hear something coming, they just stand there and the arrow comes in. And I really feel like that with, with the four-fletch setups we have. I feel like the arrows are quieter than what we've shot in the past. 
personally. Well, definitely the one I shot last year. Because last year here, I was trying to use a fixed blade, and it was a fixed blade with some holes in it. Yeah. And it was like a whistle of death. <laughs> <laughs> well, on some of those longer shots, the, the deer would turn, but you could see them look up, like yeah. on the footage. Yeah. These, they didn't do that. They right. just looked our way. They never looked up to, like, that sound that they could hear coming mm -hmm. in. So that's why I think the, the projectile was good. But these things are just, they're keyed in. And we talked to... Uh, our buddies uh, Sloan from Yeti and Cole Kramer were over on the main island hunting Axis too. They're on Maui. Oh, yeah, they're on Maui. Hunting Axis, and I asked them how they were doing, and they're like, dude, shot a few does, missed a few, lost a few. These things are just crazy how fast they react and move. And you say it's just, you think it's from tigers. You yeah. think it's. They evolved to get away from tigers. It's probably what yeah, they're, it is. they're from India. They were given to King Kamehameha, I think, in the 1800s, but they're just an insanely fast animal. They're so much faster. And you think of mule deer as being fast. Like, mule deer are drunk and on pills compared to these things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, they're, like, they're so slow. And I think these are, these are as fast as a highly pressured South Texas whitetail that's coming to a feeder that's mm, kind of like... Jumpy twitching yeah. the whole time it's there and you kind of have to aim i got to the point where when i was out with cam cam asked me where i aimed i said dude my pin was sitting in the corner pocket of the leg and the body like i literally every time i drew back i put my the pin i wanted on the back of its front leg i followed that back leg up until it touched the bottom of the body and i was pulling right there i was mm. i was i was pulling on my trigger in a place where my pin if the arrow hit exactly behind the pin it would have like just shaved hair off its armpit but that's not where any of the arrows hit they were all ducking and turning and i i feel like they're moving at least four inches down possibly more yeah and turning away yeah. it seems like they duck and spin out like that's their move pick the feet up and like rotate 180 degrees yeah you agree yeah 100 percent. they're never like darting forward that's why i think that this is the perfect place to show how effective a rage is the perfect place to show how effective a large cutting surface arrow is or broadhead is yep the so benefits of it giant because if the if you if you have the variable of not knowing a hundred percent where that arrow could hit, you know you're going to be within a, an area or a kill zone. Possibly, depending on how fast it's reacting, it might be a little bit outside of that. The more damage, the better off you are, as long as you're able to still get some penetration. Yeah. And Cam said too on the last podcast, he's like, "Hey, man." I definitely see where there's an application for this. You know. Yeah, and he's a fixed blade fiend. Fixed blade fiend. Do you, you think know? you would have got your deer if you would have been shooting a fixed blade head? It's hard to say. I mean, well, it's hard to say. You know, you, it, it, I think fixed blades, many of them, especially vented ones, they're louder too. Yeah. There's that's a that's a factor as well. Yeah, could have. Nothing really knew what had happened with your shot. I mean, there was a lot of deer there, and it was like, and then that deer ran off, and he, 
that thing had to have been completely expired within three seconds. Yeah, would it, it was be fair? It sprinted as far as it could get. It was like 50 yards, which when you see how fast an axis runs, 50 yards is not very long, and it was dead. Seconds. And, and, and done. And everything else was just looking around like, what, what happened? What happened? Yeah, they mean, I had a second shot. I tried to get a second shot on another deer at 70 yards, and that, that deer ducked the string. Yeah, because then they were all alert. They yeah. were all like, key, they knew what was up. You shot the RX-3. Love it. It's so, first of all, it's so quiet. It's so quiet. Definitely quieter so than an RX-1. Yeah, which I loved. Yeah. I loved the RX-1, but this is better. I mean, those Hoyt engineers, man. They know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. This thing is super quiet and super accurate. Did Cam shoot an RX or did he, he shoot a Helix? Helix. Helix? Oh, we both. Okay, that's right. I forgot which one he was shooting. I'm, I shot the Helix, too. I'm going to switch back to, um, to an RX-3, I think, for elk season. People ask me all the time why, you know, why one over the other. I like to shoot them all because I know people have different price ranges. Um, I, I don't think one's more accurate than the other. I really like the fact that I can change my grips out on my on aluminum riser. Yeah. Uh, if I was honest, I would say I would like it if Hoyt went back to what they used to do on the carbon risers. Where why don't they do that? They wanted you to be able to have the ability to shift the new grip left or right, depending on how your natural grip is turning the bow so that you can adjust it to have, like, perfect alignment of the arrow down the center shot of the riser. Uh, for you, because obviously we've been shooting together for years, you don't have natural torque in your front hand, so I didn't have to shift it anyway. Your arrow and everything is lined up right down the pipe, like right down the stabilizer. Your pin sits right on the outside edge of your shaft. You don't have any torque in the in the riser at all. You don't even need to move it. But I think some people have the, a natural ability to kind of grab the handle. So they wanted you to be able to remove that screw, lift the grip off, and you can move this aluminum plate left or right underneath the plastic grip to kind of compensate for your natural torque. Personally, I'd rather just not have the torque. Yeah, learn how to not shoot that way. <laughs> yeah. That's probably better. Yeah, it's like a, a Band-Aid. So maybe but I did love those knock-on elk plates. Yeah. I love those. Mm. I, I love the way it feels in the hand, too. It's extra grippy, even when you're sweaty. It feels like it really sits in your hand well. I've always said less, less riser in your hand is better. You know, less, less in your hand gives you less ability to torque what you're holding on to. Mm. Is it the same for pool cues? It depends. Uh, some people like a thin grip pool cue, and uh, that's what they prefer. I have big hands, and I like a fat grip pool cue because there's less movement in my hand. When I, when I hold a pool cue, <coughs> when it's sitting in my hand, I want, I want my hand to be, like, just dead. I don't ever want to. I don't grip the cue. Really? I don't, like have a death grip. So your elbow is almost like an upside yeah. down pendulum. My cue sits on like you know when Spider Man hits yeah. his web. Yeah. Those two fingers where Spider Man uses. It's not that's how fingers. I hold. That's how I hold my cue. My cue sits never, on those fingers. Never noticed. And this. So the idea is that it's just like you're almost throwing the cue at at the uh, at the ball. So you're throwing the cue at the cue ball so that uh, you're kind of like letting the weight of the cue and the, the swing of the arm do the work. You're not 
you're not death gripping it and jerking it and punching it. You don't ever want to punch the cue ball. Yeah, you like want me. to be. You want to. Yeah, you want to be <laughs> relaxed. The whole idea is to be relaxed. When I'm playing at my very best, I'm barely gripping the cue, and I'm letting the natural texture of the wrap sit in my hand. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of times I like to use a wrapless cue, which is just wood with you know uh, an enamel or I mean some lacquer co cover on it, and then I I put uh, beeswax on the lacquer and that's my favorite because it just sits in the hand it's tacky and I don't have to grip it at all and I just let the cue do all the work and it's like the more you can relax and the more I play like I play for a few hours then I get real relaxed and then I, I can really just sort of like gently move my arm and let the cue ball do all let the cue stick move the cue ball and do all the work you're the same with archery me it's like I can come out of the gate and feel really relaxed and feel effortless as I shoot. And then as I fatigue, I obviously feel like I'm putting more effort in. When I'm ready to pack up, you're just starting to loosen up. And it's the same with, <laughs> with pool. You yeah. can play pool forever. I yeah. mean, I've had to just be like, hey, dude, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I'm just getting loosened up. Yeah, I get loosened up about eight hours in. <laughs> <laughs> with, with pool, the guys that look like they're not putting any effort in is that when they're with archery when guys look super comfortable like you almost feel like the bow isn't real you watch them you look at them at full draw and you realize it doesn't even look like they're holding 60 pound like that mm -hmm. they look everything is in line everything's efficient yeah. they look effortless effortless is it the same with pool exactly the same yeah when you see someone tighten up from nerves you see the, their hand grip the cue different, and you see movement. You see like the cue, the cue goes a little bit left, a little bit right. They put unnecessary and accidental English on the cue ball. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things where the more you can stay calm, the more you can relax and rely on technique. That's one of the reasons why archery is so attractive to me because there's so many parallels with pool, so many, and one martial arts as well. One thing you said the other day that I really really liked. And I don't know how we got on the subject. It might have been yesterday, but we were talking about um, we were talking about how sometimes in sport, for me, it's easy. It always seems easy to forget the basics. Like mm -hmm. I forget, and and all of a sudden I'll be coaching someone new or something, and I realize they're asking this question. It's like, oh man, yeah, I'm I'm taking for granted this basic. Yeah. But for you, you said with comedy, you never do that, which I think has to make you better at it because yeah. you and actually with my school of knock what i do to myself every year in december every year in december i'm like okay whatever i've done this past year doesn't matter i'm gonna wipe the slate clean i'm gonna start with shooting enough arrows to where i can i can build some stamina practicing and then i'm just gonna focus on my fundamentals one week at a time yeah to try to back up it's not as it's not going back as far in the basics as I think what you were talking about, but it's still it's still a really cool like training aspect, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Well, what we're talking about, what you're saying is, every two years I write a whole new act, and I start. I'm like a beginner again. I'm a beginner who knows how to do comedy, but I don't have any new material. My material is, or I don't have any old material. My t material's all new, so I have to figure out how to make it work. And all these people are paying to see me. So I, it, I have to work really hard at it. So I can't be lazy and I can't take it for granted. 
and it's like I become almost like a beginner again every two years. So um, every year lately because of the yeah. Netflix special. Yeah, well, it's two. Yeah, it's 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 two years in between specials. Every special uh, I did one in 2014, 2016, 2018. So I'm on like a two-year schedule, which okay. seems to me to be the right way to do it. Yeah, because you can polish. Yeah, you can get you get, but. You, What's most important is when that special comes out, like my last one came out in October of last year, um, of 2018, and that special's out, that material's dead. Yeah. It's gone. You can't so, say it again. So then I move to the new material, and then I have to write, and I have mm -hmm. to, so I have all these people coming to see me, so there's no way you're ever relaxed or too comfortable, or you can't take it for granted. You have to always be nervous and always be on the ball and always be working hard and always be concentrating on the fundamentals of comedy, like the making sure that you're using the economy of words, making sure that... You're saying things in a way that makes sense to people, the best way to get it to people, and sneak in the punchlines where they don't see them coming, and have premises that are good, and address those premises in a way that's like the most smooth way to do it. And so it's, it requires a lot of thinking about comedy, a, lo a lot. It seems like you're in the perfect place, too, being so close to the store. Oh, yeah. For you to be able to go to the comedy store. I mean, can you think of something that morning and be like, I want to try this? Yeah, I think of things on my way to the comedy store. Really? Yeah, all the time. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just going to throw this throw out there. Throw it out there. Yep, throw it out there. See, sink or swim. <laughs> Sometimes they sink, and you got to acknowledge it. you got to let the people know, all right, that was a new joke, and that sucked. <laughs> we're we're going to keep going. And then people get a kick out of it because they know that you're you're trying things out. Like, all the people that really know comedy, and that's actually one of the beautiful things about the comedy store, is how many comedy fans, like real aficionados, go there. People who, you know, they know that they can go there on any night of the week. They can see some of the best headliners on the planet. Yeah. And they know the process. They understand. Particularly one of the beautiful things about podcasts is that through podcasts, um, we talk about it all the time. We talk about that process. So the people that listen to my podcast and many other comedians' podcasts, they understand our process now where they didn't before. Yeah. Ten years ago, people had no idea how comedians wrote jokes. Yeah. Now they know, the, the people that are really f big fans, they know really well. I've seen some of your lineups where just it happens to be where those guys go to the store. Mm -hmm. And it's not like it's a lineup. It could be a freaking comedy all-star match oh yeah i mean yeah. i've seen names on that top sign where i'm like jesus if you went there that night yeah you're like hitting the best of the best you on could the planet on the planet and it's 20 bucks <laughs> 20 bucks and you might see dave chappelle joey diaz ari shafir tom segura burt kreischer me I mean, you, you see Crystalia, you see uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. Ian was there. Ian Edwards, uh, <laughs> Owen Smith. It's just over and over and over. It's like the lineup is insane. Guys you've never heard of that are murderers. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's one of the main things that keeps me in L.A. Yeah, for sure. That on the podcast. You have a good routine. Yeah, man, I was ready to go. I was ready to get the hell out of California a long time ago. <laughs> it's like they sucked me in. Well, what's cool about our relationship, too, is there comes this point about November where you fully switch gears to comedy, and I fully switch gears to 
product development coming out, really working on my shooting, and I go in this. I kind of go reclusive as a friend. There's been, I think, at at Christmas time, didn't I text you at Christmas and I said, you know, sorry for being a bad friend. You weren't a bad friend. We're both doing the same thing. We're both wrapped up. Yeah, I'm like, you know, I just said, I know you're doing the same, but like that's from, I think, as soon as elk season ends, Mm -hmm. you go, you start your rewrite. And you, yeah. and you wipe the slate clean and you start polishing. And when you're in that, when you're doing your comedy, do you have to to stay in there to really, really do good at it? That was what was always hard with me when people asked me to do articles is there's certain times a year where I feel like I can write an article and it's really me. And a lot of times it's when I'm coaching. When I'm coaching and I'm seeing new people and I'm thinking about these things or I'm working on people's gear, I feel like I'm a good writer at that point. But when someone hits me in the middle of a time where I'm like in the middle of family vacations or if I'm in the middle of a mountain elk hunt, I just feel like I'm I'm like I'm kind of forcing it. Mm-hmm. Is it the same for you? Yeah. Do you a, get a way, those yeah. windows where you're like, this is my window where I hang out with comics. I just think about this stuff. This is what I'm thinking about when I'm working out. Do you? Well, I can never get out of shape. I got, comedy is like it's very critical to never really get out of shape. Like out of shape is like this whole week I didn't do comedy. That's as long as you I'll. You did to it. me. You said some funny <laughs> shit. <laughs> We're just having fun though. I know. <laughs> yeah, but I can tell you're always thinking about it. We we bring up subjects I can't even think of them, but a subject would come up and you. Oh, uh, that night, the last night when Cam was there, and me, you, and Cam sat there, and then um, the girls finally came towards the very oh, end. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got on some <laughs> subjects. I was just looking around, like, is anyone here? Like, hopefully, like, <laughs> we have some privacy because we went down some rat holes, man. It, but it was funny. Well, that's the beautiful thing about comedy. You know, it's like everybody knows there's some subjects that you can't really bring up around a lot of people (laughs) and those are the ones i like the most you know those are the ones that like if i can sell those to thousands of people if i'm in a room and there's seven thousand ten thousand people in the audience and I can sell this super fucking dangerous <laughs> idea. <laughs> like sometimes I say, I'm like, hear me out. <laughs> They're like, Jesus Christ, what are you saying? But if you if you have a point and it's well thought out, it's like they really appreciate that you took that crazy ass chance. And then they're <laughs> laughing with you, like, I can't believe it. like I did a show um uh last week. Uh, we were in Chicago, and I did this giant arena, and Daniel Cormier, who's never seen me do stand-up before, came, and afterwards, we, we, you know, we were working together doing commentary yeah. the next day. He grabbed me, and he's like, I can't believe the shit you were getting away with. <laughs> well, me and either, he's like, dude. God damn, that was funny. But it's like, you got to know that you have a point. you got you got to really have that, but you can't just say it for shock value. Like, for me, especially at this stage of my career... I'm in this very unusual uh, stratosphere. There's not that many people that are in this, are, this place. I would argue that you are in a, a stratosphere of your own, dude. You're at the top of this needle, 
where you get away with shit <laughs> that no one on this planet can get away with. I don't know about that. I think maybe other people would get away with it if they thought th- about no, the things that I was thinking I about. But it's it's this. <laughs> you gotta. So. But you gotta have this. I think about things a lot before I say them. I mean, it's not like I'm just flippantly saying something that might hurt someone's feelings or piss somebody off. Like. I want to make sure I cover those bases. Yeah. You, know, you like cover every ba- You almost cover everyone's opinion within that arena. Yeah, and you've got to start off with the people that are opposing you. Yep. you got to start off looking at it like from the people. You bait them in. Yeah. I've been there, <laughs> I've been there at times where I'm like, okay, he's yeah. wanting them to like him just yeah. for a minute because he's getting ready to shit on them. <laughs> <laughs> I just lure him into a trap of logic. Yesterday, um, we were... <laughs> Yesterday we were at the hotel and I'm walking around with my vegan cat shirt. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 uh, <laughs> and you, I I told you a story. I was at uh, I was in Iowa, and someone came up to me and they were legitimately. It was a lady and she was legitimately triggered, <laughs> and she just said, "Do you kill cats?" <laughs> because I had this shirt. That's one of Joe's shirt that has a cat with two X's on its eyes, and yeah, it just like says hashtag yeah. If cartooned out when cartoon animals would be dead, they would have X's for eyeballs. Yep. <laughs> so it was hashtag vegan cat, which is you know obviously one of the parts of Joe uh, Joe's Netflix special from last year. But uh, I just looked at her and I said no. I said I love cats, and I said I'm trying to wi- raise awareness. <laughs> For people that are feeding their cats like a vegan and they're causing blindness in felines. And she goes, what? And I said, yeah. People quit feeding their cats meat and they become blind. And I said, I'm trying to raise awareness. (laughs) And she's like, oh, my God, I had no idea. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm going to start to raise awareness, too. Oh, people are so crazy. Well, yesterday when I was... uh, Yesterday I went to uh, to get a drink at the bar, and the girl that came over and served me, she stopped me yesterday, and she goes, do you hate cats? <laughs> and I go, why? And she goes, what does that shirt mean? And she goes, I hope it's nice. And I said, yeah, it's totally nice. And she goes, great, I'm a vegan, and I love cats. And I'm like, well, we're friends. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, well, that's Poor one vegans. of the subjects right there. That's one of the subjects where you got away with it, dude. No one else could yeah. get away with it. That one was that one was a lot of work. That was a lot of work. That one I had to like f- circumnavigate that terrain many times to figure out the right way to get that bit across. Because that was a real thing that did happen. A lady really did say a bunch of mean stuff to me, and then I went to her account and it, it said hashtag vegan cat. And I, I really did look at my watch and go, shit, should I look at this? <laughs> like, I should go to bed right now. <laughs> and I know this is true because most of the time when Joe texts me something that's it's within 30 minutes of when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> Because with the two-hour difference, <laughs> you're going to bed around 3.30, and I'm getting up around, like, 4, 4.30. And well, I do I my best writing for whatever reason late at night, and I think part of it is because my wife and my kids are asleep, and I'm usually coming home from the comedy store. So I work, yep. I do my sets, and then I come home, and then I write. A lot That's of times a good I, time to do it. Yeah, because everyone's asleep, and my brain's fired up. 
So usually I'm just hanging out with the dog and just writing. And then, like, write until I'm too sleepy, and then I go to sleep. But sometimes, like, I get these sparks. So I'm like, I'm like a, I'm a spark farmer. <laughs> I'm out there just trying to farm some sparks or a forager for sparks. I'm looking for sparks. Yeah. And, and then I find a spark, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I blow on that spark, and I try to turn it into a flame. And then I have to keep that flame alive. And so then I have to keep working at it on stage and figuring out a way. And then p- some people will boo me or they'll get mad at me. And I go, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then I have to figure out, okay, how do I stop the boo in its tracks? Well, i got to get to their argument before they do. Yeah. So I have to figure out a way. It's such a good way to approach it's it, dude. But it's like if you're, you're crafty. It's sneaky. Yeah, you're a, you have you're to be. it's obvious you're a black belt and a jujitsu person because <laughs> you're baiting people. I'm sneaking them in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're I'm you're them a up. baiting son of a bitch is but what it's you are. One of those things where it's like I've been doing it now for more than thirty years. It'll be thirty-one years this August. So it's, it's crazy. I'm trying yeah. to remember. I remember you doing a show. I don't know if you did a show at the Riviera, but I was shooting in Vegas. And I know it was late 90s or early 2000s, and you were doing a show there. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do shows there. That was the only place I performed in Vegas. Uh, was it Was it at Riviera? Yeah. yeah I Riviera. remember it then. Yeah. So that would have been, I'm sure it's 20 years ago, so you'd have been mm-hmm. 10 years in. Yep. And I think, I remember, uh, I remember some of my friends going, and they were shocked. <laughs> because... They're, they said they're like, he is not filtered in his comedy compared to how he announces the UFC. Because you, like, I th- there's no subjects off limits, is well, there? Well, the UFC is a different job. You know, it's, it's very confusing for people, and, and I kind of sympathize with them because I have... Two completely unrelated jobs, like com- well, almost three. You have because three. Podcasting yeah. is sometimes funny, but many times not. Like sometimes I'm just talking to scientists. Yeah. And then sometimes I'm talking to scholars or the educators. diversity is what has people hooked. Well, it's, to me, it's that's how I view the world. I, I I don't need to be funny. Like I don't ever try to be funny when I'm doing the UFC. My obligation when I'm doing the UFC is to give justice or to give, uh, to to honor the hard work that these men and women have put into in their training camp and to appreciate their effort and to appreciate their art, the martial art. You're super serious about martial arts. When people try to make that funny, you don't like it. No. Most of the time, I don't. I mean, unless something funny happens. Yeah. I mean, if it, but it has to if be If my organic. balls are hot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jerk Lewis. <laughs> if, if something like that, yeah, that's just genuinely funny. I'm, I'll laugh at that. But for the most part, my job is to make it exciting for people that are listening and to sort of explain what's happening in terms of uh, particularly the ground. Like, people kind of understand when someone's throwing a kick or a punch, and it's my job to point things out that I see like patterns sometimes I'll see like someone moving I'm like this guy is moving at a much higher level like the, and, and off, sometimes that happens right before a guy gets knocked out I'll say I see a big like this this past weekend um, Ricardo Lamas was fighting Calvin Cater and uh, I said I see a big difference between the striking level of Calvin Cater and Ricardo Lamas Calvin is just like, 
boom, he lands a knockout blow. Mm-hmm. Like right after I said that. Like sometimes it's crazy. Yeah. It happens like that. But you but that's important for for people at home. Like they want they the, the one the one of the reasons why some people like me as a commentator is because they know that I'm I genuinely enjoy this. This is not a job to me. This yeah. is something I, I don't think, oh here I am working, I'm pe- getting paid, I'm getting some money. I don't think of that. But I think it's like I am first of all I love the sport I and I genuinely appreciate what these guys are doing what these girls are doing and I just want to give I want to honor what they're doing you know? I think anything you have interest in you 100% come across as authentic and that's what that's what people say they like about me is because they yeah. they say I feel like you are 100% authentic about your passion sure. for archery. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like social media helps accelerate that because yeah. people start to not have only this filter that the the TV network allows people to see or right. that sometimes you or I don't have control on what that filter is. We might say like, hey, man, that's not me. Can you like – I right, would really right, right. like if you did it like this or like, no, you know, we've done some polls and this is r- really what we want, which is what – which is why I left my network. Yes. Because I realized if I go on to a live feed, people 100% get exactly how I feel. Yeah. And I think the more that they experience that, their radars of people's natural radars of who's legit and who's not, they're sensitive. Yeah. And I think it's the it's the best thing in the world for people like me or you or cam or any of these people that we know within their fields where they're they're real they're like real people within those fields or and you know andy's a great example too he's like he's almost breaking the mold of what a lot of navy seals are doing Mm -hmm. Uh, is it fair to say that because so many so many like ride their past to you know to try to you know build something whereas andy's almost you almost have to drag it out of them Mm -hmm. you know you almost have to say like no dude you've done some really cool shit we need to talk about this yeah and he's trying to say well there's more to me than that Mm -hmm. you know there's more to me than that but i think once people really see that honesty come forward that's what people are grasping for they're like i really want i really like that person that i'm seeing that's what I want more of. Yeah, you're not produced. You know, when someone watches yeah, that's a, a, good a, way to a put knock yeah. on, uh, when you're doing a live stream or whether you're doing a podcast, you're not produced. And that's the same with me. I don't have anyone telling me to do. And I've been in that situation where I had someone telling me to do and it telling me what to do or what to say. And it's it's just it's not as effective. It's yeah. just not as it's not as genuine. It doesn't come across that way. Yep. I saw today. It's fu- it's weird how your phone. Your phone's a spy. I got today. I got ads pulled up in my Instagram about travel coolers. Whoa! Because we were talking about coolers. <laughs> yeah, last night at dinner, wow. how we were gonna get our meat home. Isn't That's that crazy? Isn't it? That's it's so weird. It's crazy, crazy. And so it's listening to us. It's listening for sure. Yeah. It's well, who's 
who can tell us what's happening? I want to know. Like, what is your phone? I need to get someone on that tells me what the hell your phone is listening to. Because that does happen to people all the time, where all of a sudden they, their Google feed, their if news feed has ads in if it. If that happens, will you get really eye before they come on, just so mm. you can really <laughs> so you can really trip out? Yeah. Because you'll yeah. be like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> you'll be deep into that. I need to find out. I need to find out how they're doing it and what they're doing. Because that's weird. Like, what if you were, like, planning a murder? You had your phone on you. And then Damn. And the FBI Some knocks on your door. And you're like, no, no, no. I'm writing a book on murder. And I'm planning it out with a friend to try to pretend that we were planning a murder so I could <laughs> see how people talk when they're planning a murder. So me and my well, friend that's a cover an actor. Up. But if you did do that, imagine yeah. if you did do that. Like, if you were, like, Jack Carr, right? Our friend yep. George Peterson. Yep. It, who uh, he just gave me his two new books. Yep, um, I brought mine here yeah. to read it, but we were we never yeah, had downtime. We, never had downtime. we were yeah. we were <laughs> having fun the whole time. But like, say if Jack was writing a book or George was writing a book, and he was trying to figure out how Jack is his uh, we should say is his his pseudonym that he yeah. uses for writing. Jack Carr is his uh, yeah, it's his pen name. His nom de plume. <laughs> um, but if he was trying to figure out how someone would talk when they were setting up a murder and so he got together with an actor or or, or a detective or someone and said how w- what would you say like how would you talk about it what would you do what would be the steps and the phone picked that up and all of a sudden the fbi is knocking on his door he's like hey 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 i'm not murdering anybody i'm writing books like what are we doing here folks what if you got an ad for like La- latex <laughs> gloves, bleach, <laughs> duct tape, lime, <laughs> duct tape. shovel, a nope. 1987 18 minivan, yeah, <laughs> gasoline, gasoline, lighters. You'd yeah. be like, hmm, okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Honestly, I'm sure there's companies that would pay if they knew this guy is a buyer. Oh he, yeah. He's sketchy. We yeah. don't care. We're just trying to make money. <laughs> we don't know nothing. Yeah, we don't know nothing. I think that. Um, you know, what we're talking about, to get away from that, what we're talking about when it comes to uh, honesty, there's never really been uh, shows where no one was telling anyone what to do. There's never been, like, you think about how many downloads you get per episode. Like, there's, that's a, what you get for your archery podcast is like a successful cable show. Yeah. Which is really yeah. crazy. Yeah. Right. Think about. I get, like I how get specific. more more downloads in two days on my podcast than what Friday night full draw at eight o'clock on the Sportsman's Channel got when I had that slot. I couldn't. Uh, I, I would only imagine that they can't compete. No. Because it's no it's way. It's all watered down. It doesn't resonate with people the same way. Uh, it's it re- when when people know that it's straight from your mouth and there's no one they go oh this is who John Dudley really is like one of the things that people tell me when they meet me they go oh you're like you how you are on the podcast <clears throat> and I'm like yeah that's me <laughs> like there's I don't have a boss yeah but there's never been a thing like that where yeah. you don't have a boss and yet every episode reaches millions and millions of people like yeah. if I could see the number of people if I could like be on a stage and look out. And see, like, I had uh, Be Real from Cypress Hill yeah. on the podcast the other day. That was a good one. Amazing. That I love that guy. One. I love him. I love Cypress Hill. But he, we showed video footage of when they were playing at Woodstock, and that was a half million people. 
well, if I have a half a million people listening to a podcast, that podcast sucked. Like, something must have went wrong. Yeah. So think about the numbers, like, for a podcast that's like a killer podcast. Yeah. You know? Oh, I yeah. Mean, though it's, 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 it's unbelievable. Yeah, what were, I mean, if you think back of, like, a really good band that sold out a stadium, what that number would be, and they're like, this is a legitimate, successful band. Well, I feel like uh, a really big, giant band could do, like, a football stadium. They could yep. do, like, 50,000 people or 70,000 people, which is, you know, unheard of, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, those oh, are, yeah. Those are giant, giant numbers. But that ain't shit for a podcast. <laughs> that ain't shit. No. So think about one of your podcasts is way bigger than a football stadium, which is really nuts, man. Yeah. It's really nuts. It's, it's There's cool. never been anything like this. And it's free. It's free. There's never been anything like this, and there's never been anything where there's no filter. You'd have to no be filter. using those sick knee pads for some <laughs> other <laughs> purposes if back in the day. Yeah, if you'd, uh, you'd need more than the sick knee pads. Yeah, you'd yeah. need more. <laughs> you'd, you'd need uh, some, you know, some thick ones. Yeah, these calloused hands wouldn't be favorable. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's cool though, man. I mean, we we came at the right time for this. You know, we we we. I mean, for you to have left the Sportsman's Channel and enter into this new world, isn't it awesome though? What I think is so cool is, um, and we, me, you, and Cam talked about this, about the number of people that we get exposed to that we would have never got to hear their voice. People that write just a super cool book, having a you know that have dedicated their lives to an to an awesome mm-hmm. topic yeah. and you would have never like unless JRE was out there for you to go down some wormhole at, at yeah. 3 o'clock in the morning and be like you know what this dude like I gotta get this guy on Yeah, he's he's tripping me out with some of this information and then you share it to millions and millions and millions and millions yeah. the, the, I mean it makes honestly it makes mainstream it makes it harder for him to lie it definitely makes think it harder for don't you think it so? makes it harder for them to survive because they seem so corny. Yeah, it, like you, you have a, a mainstream show that covers these subjects. There's like stupid music and <laughs> dramatic, you know, reads and and it's obviously written, and they don't get to just talk. Mm-hmm. Like to to discuss subjects, you need time to to find out how someone really feels about a subject. You need time. Yeah, and you know, and what with these. Shows are trying to do is they're trying to create these gotcha moments where they're trying to catch people and misrepresent their position on things, and they're trying to, you know, they're trying to like create controversy because that's how they sold things in the past. Yeah. But people are getting tired of being bullshitted. They're getting tired of it. They want to know, like, like when I had Graham Hancock on the other day, it was this massively successful podcast millions and millions of people downloaded it and it's about the origins of civilization on earth which is such a crazy subject to think that so many people would be fascinated by it but they are but they they were never represented before because it was never given to them in a way where you could just listen to the author who is this incredibly well-researched guy incredibly articulate has been passionate about the subject for decades and who was also often maligned by mainstream archaeologists and scholars and now 
the, those mainstream archaeologists and scholars through new evidence and new discoveries have been forced to recognize that human beings have existed in these these more advanced civilizations than ever we, we than ever anyone ever thought before for many 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 years yeah. thousands of years prior to when we had dated organized civilizations and cultures and it wasn't that these subjects weren't interesting before. It's just that you didn't get a chance to listen to someone talk about it. Non-stop, without yes. an interruption yes. or without a producer saying, you know what, that part wasn't interesting. Right. And now there's gaps to right. where you leave someone the ability yeah. to intervene and say, well, no, that's not accurate because he never mentioned this. Exactly. Well, actually he had, but they edited it out. Yeah, exactly. You know, that'd be the person that'd be on like a PBS special and you're at the mercy of when they air it, yeah, how they break it up into their twenty-two minutes, yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't give it the justice that you know obviously someone that's dedicated that much time where it deserved it. Yeah, you know it's um it's a new world, and you and I got super lucky that we kind of stumbled into this new world. You know, and uh, I was listening to your podcast long before I met you, and uh, wa I watched your TV show, and then I found out about your podcast, and then I was listen to your podcast and I was saying how crazy this is this guy's talking about like X10s and different fletchings and different configurations and helicals and all this shit like who the fuck is listening to this how can <laughs> I write that into 1200 <laughs> words too? you can't you right? can't someone would be like hey we need a feature article right 1250 cap yes. it out but to me it re really um, resembled pool in a way because with pool, there's all this talk about low deflection shafts or 13 millimeter tips versus 12 millimeter, 12 and a half millimeter uh, carbon fiber shafts, um, uh, maple butts versus uh, ebony, which is a stiffer, heavier weight, 19 inch balance. Now points. carbon, you told me. Yeah, which they're was using interesting, that for right? shafts. Yeah, a lot of the top top players are using carbon shafts and like the big name p companies like uh, Predator, they're making carbon shafts for, for cues and a lot of people swear by them. They don't ding up like regular ones do. But it's also like if I started talking to people the way, I mean I've been playing pool for 20, mm, 25 years? Yeah, about 25 years I've been playing pool. Like pretty, I mean I never really stopped. I mean, maybe a little bit when I was really getting heavily into video games, I, 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 I deviated a bit. But for 25 years, I've been playing pool and experimenting with different tips and layered tips versus buffalo hide tips versus cow hide versus pig tips. So, I mean, this is all these different types of uh, just kinds of equipment. And you telling th you saying this right now is yeah. probably like when you listen to one of my first podcasts. I think one of my first podcasts or the top few was because um, I kind of wanted to come out of the gate with this is how deep I've gone. And yeah. so I got James Park on, which I love James. He's an awesome dude. He's from Australia. But this guy could have a doctorate in the aerodynamics of an arrow. That's probably one of the ones that tripped you out. Probably. But now you're talking pig tips yeah. on a pool cue. Yeah. And I'm thinking like. It's making sense where I'm like, well, duh, yeah. yeah. Different density leather tips would mm -hmm. totally make sense, but I never even knew it existed yeah. until right now. And now I'm thinking, oh, shit, yeah. Now I'm thinking, well, there's 
50 different types of plastic. Like how many are they playing mm -hmm. with Delrin? Sure. Then putting the pig t dick on the top of it? Are they right. using foreskin yet? Yep. Like what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and then there's also wrapped cues versus wrapless, the way you hold it, the way you grip it. Some guys like to grip it with their wrist bent forward so there's less variation. Some guys like to let the like to let the, the wrist go real loose and let the, the they cradle the cue in their hands. It's a, there's all these different techniques and strategies and like like it's also like finger punchers, right? Some guys can punch that trigger and they can do it really accurately. It's very few people. That's the same thing with guys who have a death grip on the cue. Some guys have a death grip on the cue Am and they I can play <laughs> really I? well. I no, <laughs> you don't have a death grip, but you know, you it's like anything else. You would have to learn how to do it correctly and yeah. then you would have to practice. Yeah. You know, I practice playing pool by myself mostly. Most of the times when I play, I play by myself. I wish I could do what Iron Man does where he talks to Jarvis and he expands stuff. <laughs> I want to do that on your brain when you're looking at angles on a yeah, because a when, when I'll break, if I break, because Joe and I have played together a couple different times, you look at the table and I can see, like, I know you're thinking, Joe. When the thinking Joe's there, like, all the cogs are turning, you're doing your Rain Man thing. Mm -hmm. I wish I knew how many different angles and shit you were looking at. Well, I'll tell you if you want. You know, I'll, I'll show it to you. Like, we were talking about it a little bit the other day. I was like, well, I have to go with the four. I have to hit it with right-hand English because I have to wind up on the left-hand side of the five because I want to drift down to the six because it's so close to the second. I don't have the seven, rather. I don't have much room Are you error. playing your whole layout? I play four balls ahead. Always? That's it? No. Sometimes I only play three balls ahead if it's, like, a fairly easy rack. But sometimes I like to play four balls ahead. Like, if, if there's a cluster, then I know I have to break it out. I can't. I can't fuck around. I have to make sure that I'm on the the high side of this ball because when I collide, when I make the shot, I have to hit that second ball or I will I won't be able to get out. I'm trying to get out. I'm not trying to just when I when I watch someone play, like because everybody likes to say they know how to play pool, which is hilarious. People come to my podcast studio. They're like, "Oh, you play pool? Well, let's play some pool." I, okay, knew, let's play some I pool. knew you well enough to just say I don't know shit about <laughs> pool. When you're but like, "Do you play pool?" I'm like, "Nope." <laughs> how do I hold this thing? But I always <laughs> I watch how they make a ball. If they just try to make a ball, I was like, oh, okay, you can't play <laughs> pool. You might be able to pocket some balls, but I'm going to fuck you up in the long run. <laughs> you might be able to make all the shots and run out, and I'll say congratulations. That was a disaster. Yeah. You, you got out, but that was terrible. I did that twice. <laughs> it can happen. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the perfect – this is the perfect time to talk about when people – try to argue with me why when they say what I'm doing's worked and it's always worked and they're like we know you teach that way the way that I teach I would say 80% of the people it maximizes them to the best of their ability are there a fraction of people that are like the exemptions to the rule yeah and you can probably go and win a tournament. You could probably, at some point in your career, if you go to enough major events, you'll win one, doing it your way. But I'm, I'm certain that what I'm teaching will get the mass majority of people more 
production over a long run. They'll be more effective. Right. It's the right way to do it. Is that, the right I mean, way is to it the it. same? Yes. It's like I beat you two games of pool, but to me that's like, you know, if you freaking throw three things out of the window, you know, one every hundred times is going to land where you think it might land, but it's just cha- it's chance. Well, we're playing on an 8 by 4 which is a smaller table, and it has buckets for holes. It's like I like those buckets. All, all those things factor in. And, you know, the table that I have in my studio is... Sucks. It's brutal, <laughs> man. That's a brutal table. That's like one of those metal targets that has the softball <laughs> That's exactly hole. what it is. He's shooting at 40 It's yards. an iron buck target yeah, every <laughs> shot. I'm like, dude, I swear I would have made this shot at my old table at home. You're like, yeah, these pockets are a little smaller. I'm like, They're damn. They're four inches. <laughs> They're an inch and a half shorter than a regulation pocket. Yeah. But that's how I, uh, that's how I practice. By the way, the last podcast I did with Joe on the JRE, there was a few people that said I might have gone too far on the on the drink. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everyone knows, <coughs> Joe was beating my ass for about three hours on the pool table on these small ass pockets. So I was just like drinking my sorrow away, <laughs> and about the time he was all warmed up and it had enough of me he said let's podcast and i'm like i thought we were podcasting tomorrow he's like no let's just go now so yeah that, that yeah that was a rough one you didn't <laughs> win a single game that time that was rough that fucking table's rough man that table's rough it was but that's my practice table that's how i like that's like putting that um uh outdoorsman atlas pack on that's like me taking hills. you right to the tack and be yes. like all right yeah bitch. yeah 120 <laughs> yards hit that sheep <laughs> <laughs> yep, 37-degree angle. Good luck. Yeah, no rangefinder. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I hope exactly. You, hope you've learned some yeah. stuff. It's, uh, you know, there's levels. There's levels to everything. And uh, one of the things that I learned uh, very early on when I became obsessed with martial arts was how important technique is. Yeah. To generate power. To it's generate real power. And to be uh, to do things correctly. Can you name one field where that's not important? I can't. The principles? No, I can't. Comedy. It's it's with everything. Like Joey Diaz, when you see Joey on stage, he's so wild and crazy, and his comedy is so is so out there. You think maybe there's no technique to it, but he's one of the best technicians. He knows exactly. He knows what exactly he, what he's doing. He does. But he's such an amazing technician because. He has the best economy of words. Like, here's mm. a Joey Diaz joke that I love. He goes, I like transvestites. They cook, they clean. You can beat on them every once in a while. The cops come. Who are they going to believe? Me or some dude with a wig and a black eye? <laughs> <laughs> Those jokes. Like, that's a great bit. And the, the jokes come at you before you know where he's going. Yeah. The cops come. Who are they going to believe, me or some dude with a wig and a black <laughs> eye? That's a brilliant joke. But it's that economy of words. And there's a, there's a, that's like a skill. If When you see a comic and they have too many words before they get to the punchline, either that's a new joke and they're trying to figure out how to say it, which I do when I have new jokes, I'll oftentimes go back and listen to old recordings of a joke that I'm doing like three months later where I've got it down. I'll go back and listen to how I started doing it three months ago, and it's embarrassing. It's terrible because there's so many extra words in it. It's yeah. so meandering. It's just yeah. Th- so there's technique to everything, man, everything. But in martial arts, the consequences of having poor technique are the, the most devastating because you're going to get hit. 
or you're gonna yeah. get strangled, or you're yeah. gonna get your arm snapped. Like all the technique in martial arts is super, super critical. It's everything. Do you think there's people that could just focus on five basic principles of like jujitsu and just murk? And that's all they do, but they do it so well they can just wait on it perfectly. You, there's a guy named John Donaher who has done an amazing job in training these killers, just incredible athletes who've been able to beat people with far more experience than them. Because John, who was a uh, a philosophy major in college, and just he's a brilliant man, like a, a true genius, has figured out a way to cut to the chase and figure out what is most important, what am I trying to achieve, and what are the barriers to trying to achieve this. And then he's figured out a way to apply that to his students and to teach his students in this way that cuts the learning curve down radically. And because of that, he's developed these guys like Gary Tonin or Gordon Ryan or Nicky Ryan, these like guys who have not been doing jiu-jitsu relatively haven't been doing jiu-jitsu near as long as their competitors but are far more effective yep so there, there i've is seen some of his stuff yeah he's genius man he's genius but but it's that it's it's the analysis what it is is a, a, a superior intellect that applies that superior intellect to yeah. something where people may not have been as focused and there's also a problem with jujitsu where a lot of people just like to roll. They just like to spar because it's fun. You learn a couple techniques, and then you try to get each other because it's a it's a fun it's a fun thing to do. But the best way to do it is to drill, and the real the really best way to do it is to drill with intent and an understanding of each posi- uh, like a very detailed, comprehensive understanding of each position and what's the danger of not having inside control what's the danger of not having the underhook what and and see that's what for me that's what i feel like some of the places where i've gone and done jiu-jitsu they're not explaining so it's hard for me to absorb yeah because i think just based on my background i'm wanting to know the basics and the whys and the drills and i'm totally comfortable just being in the drills Mm -hmm. just being in the drills to where it's hard for me to want to learn something new because I know that I'm not doing what you told me before good enough for me to say, okay, I feel like I'm doing that without having to consciously really try hard at it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I love that about sport where you, you're able to just drill and drill and drill until the subconscious absorbs it. Mm-hmm. And it's like at that moment, I feel like I've made a step. Yeah. And now – now drop something else in and and i call it selective cycling i cycle things in when i feel like i've absorbed something that i've already worked on it's like that with students you know andy said it before he goes a year in you tell me something where you just now tell me it and i look at you and i'm like a year ago i was doing this right and you knew it and i'm like well yeah of course i knew it but it wasn't relevant right you're yeah. ready now to know. Right. Right now you're ready to know. And I almost feel like it's better, at least for some people. For me, I feel like it would be that way because I would always be thinking back to, well, why was I doing that? Why? Or mm. I, deep down I know I'm not doing it good enough. Like I'm not doing it efficient enough. Whereas sometimes I've gone with people and they're like, we just 
roll because eventually you'll just start to realize why it's important. Mm-hmm. And I, there, honestly, the places where I've stopped going is is those places because I'm like, I can't, I don't feel like I learn that way. Well, one of the things that we do at Tenth Planet <coughs> is um, Eddie breaks things down into paths and uh, paths where people escape. And then paths where people counter. Like sometimes, like you'll you'll have a path where you will pass someone's guard, move into mount, go for the arm bar. They defend the arm bar. Then they wind up on top. Then they pass, and then they go into like an arm triangle or some other submission. So the person who is initially attacking winds up being the person who gets submitted. Yep. And you'll do this path and drill this path, and you you basically it's a, almost like a choreographed. Uh, sequence of events that will take place in sparring yeah. like where you'll catch yourself in an arm bar you defend that arm bar and then all of a sudden you find yourself in side control and then you find yourself submitting someone with this very same sequence of events and that just builds your understanding of the positions and understanding yeah. of like what can take place from those positions yeah like there's certain arm bars that you can catch while someone's going for a twister or while someone's in the truck or someone's in these various positions and until you're there you don't really know it so that to to do it in like a very clear path so all the warm ups that we do will be these these pathways yeah and i think it's important too you know, there's people that say they listen to me, and and they just say, you know, I just don't get it. I, for whatever reason, I don't like I don't like what Dudley's talking about. I get it. Yeah, I've gone I think to that's I've stubbornness. gone to it's well, stubborn. It's an ego thing. Man. I've gone to places. I think sometimes, but I've gone to places where, for whatever reason, I'm hearing the same thing, but I, it's easier to take it in, mm-hmm. even though it seems like it's the same information. It seems like there's some teachers that are really good at teaching, and there's some teachers that have been taught how to teach, and it comes across that way, and it's hard It's hard to soak it in. Well, it's also the personality of the people that are teaching you. Yeah. Sometimes you don't want to learn from somebody. You don't like them. Yeah. You don't like the way they're talking, or maybe they're arrogant, and yeah. maybe that, that arrogance comes off as, a, you know, like you want to prove them wrong instead yeah. of just listening. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I get it. Well, the last thing we should talk about is – probably where we started this trip grilling because you and i are both passionate about cooking food yeah we eat what we kill right yeah and you were you were on a different grill path a couple (laughs) weren't you i mean i kept telling you like dude i don't know a lot about this traeger but man it's like changed my life well i was doing things very hot yep and uh, I was—I uh, had a Yoder that has uh, a direct heat um, element, and the direct heat aspect of it was uh, you'd have these grill grates that you'd put down, and you would turn up the flames very, very, very high, and I would cook on these grill grates. You put these grill marks yep. on the uh, on on the meat. It was drying out the meat though, and until Chad. Uh, whiskey bent barbecue. Yeah, on Chad Ward. Chad Ward on uh, Instagram. Hollow. Until he explained it to me, the idea of the reverse sear, cooking things low and slow, and then searing them at the end. I really didn't get it. And then once I just started cooking like that, I'm like, oh, okay. You mean I get mad when I go to a restaurant, a good restaurant, and the, they cook the steak bad? Isn't that a bummer? It's a bummer. We talked it about that all the time, dude. What do we cook night one? 
when Sharon and I flew in, did we cook cowboy steaks, ribeyes? Yeah, bone we cooked in, some ribeyes. Rib got some ribeyes. Yeah. We ate those at the house. You've got, so you've got the new Ironwood. It's, yes. It's like, it's not the highest end Traeger. I w- it's the next one in line. Yeah, it's but for it's someone not that that's buying one in yeah. a store, dude. Well, I had an Ironwood before, and you had um, a Timberline. A t- excuse me, a Timberline before, and they wanted to give me the Ironwood because it's the newest version with the um, the and they D2. Hadn't, they hadn't had D2 the, motor. They didn't have the Timberline, the new Timberline out yet. Mm-hmm. But you know what, man? If you're on a budget, I mean. It's phenomenal. I, I have no complaints. I have the 650. I had the Timberline 1300 before. But this Ironwood 650 is amazing. It's so good, and I love the app. One of the best it's things the for me best. for Traeger is the app. And the fact that I can adjust the temperature of the grill on my phone. Yeah. And then also I could find recipes. Like I cooked lobster tails the other day, and I got the recipe directly from my phone. And uh, I, I went to the grocery store. I got the ingredients based on that, and I, 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 I cooked it on, on the Traeger with my phone. What did you tell me you cooked at, I think you said you cooked something only at 225 just so you could use a super smoke? Well, I've been doing that a lot with roasts. Oh, really? Yeah, I've been doing that a lot. I really like that super smoke, man. It just, it does something to the, the I love that smoky flavor that you get. I think it's one of the best things about pellet grills, and I think, th- I, I've had a lot of pellet grills. You know, uh, the Traeger's the best. It's the best. It's the best at maintaining temperature. It gets to temperature better. It's the easiest to, to work. It does so I stable c- yeah. too. I've had you some complicated ones where they it cooked good, but it's like you had to like read the manual to figure out how to do things. And Traeger's just straightforward. But the, but pellet grills, without a doubt, are my favorite way to cook food because you're just getting fire and wood. There's no nonsense. Yeah. There's no charcoal, lighter fluid. There's no briquettes. It's just wood and and fire. It's that's a pellet it. that's repetitive. Yeah, and then what they figured out how to do, first of all, it's so efficient. The Traeger uses so little pellets. Like, I, I, I fill that hopper once. I go five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten cooks yeah. with just, I mean, it's a foot hot a foot deep of pellets yeah and it takes forever to run run through that we were eating those ribeyes that night and we're like dude it's as good as you're ever there's no like i haven't gone anywhere where i would say i need to know how this guy's doing this because it's better than what i'm making at home no they were definitely as good as anything i've ever got ever yeah and it's so easy to use and to do it at 225 and i love the fact that traeger has that probe and you can yeah, Stick that's the, the best. And you with read it on with your phone. the app, yeah. Harry is has his first apartment right now, and I don't. And actually, it's a summer. He's got. He's uh, he's in a research project, which is pretty cool. But uh, I don't think he realized that the school wasn't cooking food because he was in his apartment one night and he sent a text to Sharon that said campus is closed we can't get food there so we got to do our own and he goes do you think dad could cook for us some nights <laughs> and <laughs> so she's like you need to cook for him so i i told him i said you want me to do you i forgot what i said I, we did a brisket i said i'll cook a brisket for your guys uh so i started it at night i literally woke up at three in the morning grabbed my phone next to my bed open it up 
told me that the brisket was at like 159. I got up, went outside, put the brisket in a big foil pan, wrapped it all in there, put in a little bit of juice, sealed it all up, bumped the temp up to 275, put it back in the grill, closed it, and just set the alarm for when the brisket hit 204. Like set the alarm on my app. So the next morning at 9 a.m., bing, it goes off. The brisket's at 204. I took it out, set it in a Yeti, and just left it in there until the guys came home after their 10-mile run for that day and just sliced it, and it was ready to go. Amazing. It was perfect. Yeah, it's the perfect combination of technology. You know how much shit I ruined on a freaking propane Weber? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, or a charcoal grill. Yeah, I had a Kamado, you know, one of those um, ceramic grills, which is great. It's great until you use a pellet grill. Yeah. And then, you know, my wife was like, get rid of this stupid thing. Like, you don't even <laughs> use it. I'm like, but it looks cool. Well, it's like people that say you need to learn how to start a fire with, like, two sticks. No, you don't. Yeah, I can do it, but yeah. I also can buy a Bic lighter at the gas station <laughs> when I'm filling up my car. It's 90 cents. <laughs> <laughs> do I really need to? I mean, look, it's a good survival skill. Yeah, if you really do find yourself, and I know some guys like to just bring like a flint and some some uh, I cotton swabs or some people. With Vaseline. Hey, Schneider likes to shoot a traditional bow. I don't get more that. power to him. I don't get that. But then other people say, "Why are you shooting a bow when you can shoot a rifle?" Right? Oh yeah, yeah. We're in that category. Damn yeah. it. Yeah, we're it freaking is. idiots too. Yeah. Well, the argument for that is these damn deer. These yep. axis deer. <laughs> I met some hunters this morning, real nice guys, and one of the guys, he got his first big game animal today with a rifle. Um, so they were there for half an hour, and they shot a deer. Yep. We hunted for five days <laughs> for me. <laughs> I struck out five <laughs> days in a row until finally I connected on the sixth day with uh, that beautiful buck. But Well, well dude, we're, on, that we're, on, we're flashing on one one bar of battery. I'm oh, afraid of it. Run out like of battery. I'm do you have a charger? Well, do you have a thing to plug in? I have in? a plug-in, but do we have a plug-in? Yeah, Is there a plug-in close yeah, by. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be some well outlet here. You can figure that part Should out. Should we just bail on this? <laughs> um, I don't see any. We're quitters. Yeah, let's just Damn bail. It. Damn I don't it. think there's any power here. Well, I don't see it, dude. This was awesome. Hey, my brother. Listen, <laughs> it's uh, always always a good time hanging with you. I love hunting with you. Thanks for and we'll teaching see me each about other. archery. Hey, the next time we see each other, do you know who we're going to be introducing to archery? To who? bow hunting? Who? Jocko. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Jocko's first bow hunt is going to be archery elk in Utah. Oh, that's dude. That's amazing. We have an awesome camp. This is going to be, be great. legit. That's going to be legit. Oh, we'll be doing some podcasts from there, folks. Oh, yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. I wonder if he'll still act as tough and cool as he yeah he i think he's gonna keep it together i think he'll probably be pretty stoic and and just listen yeah guys he's a good learner people with that position yeah they know how to learn he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu too you don't you don't get to be a black belt unless you're a good learner yeah you might have to beat it into him but i don't think so i don't think so i think he's just gonna listen would it be fun if he like missed his first one the elk just schooled his ass where he was (laughs) like where he thought he could just tough it out now, i would it, like it, to see him get a fucking 10 ring that's what i want to see yeah i want to see a, the, an elk drop the way my elk dropped it to hone 
Where dude. I just stepped four steps and just I mean, tipped over. That's what we all do this for. You yeah. say it, I say it, Cam says it. Yep. Uh, I don't know. I it was a it was a super. Fu- I'm so thankful that that day that you couldn't go, that I asked Cam to go with me because that was the first time that we've hunted together and I would say, I mean, we were both at UA for. 12 years together never had hunted together and it was it was pretty cool once you get in a situation where especially a hunting situation where it's it's life or death yeah i mean for what you're pursuing the movements that you make and the choices you make they really define they do define you and whether people out there like me or don't like me or like cam or don't like cam all i can say is when we were in the moments that we were in that's the ultimate litmus test for me like a hunting situation for me is a litmus test for a person for you i think it's someone that like actually goes into a real fight right from a it's a lot of things it's comedy yeah oh yeah i've i've gotten to become friends with someone then i watch them on stage i'm like oh i can't be friends with you anymore (laughs) really (laughs) yes but like, then, oh my god, you're terrible. But then, are there times where you're like, this guy I don't really know, but then when you see him, mm-hmm. you're like, you know what? Like 100%, you got my respect right oh, now. Oh, 100%, yeah. And well, that's where it was at. You know, I, I, I can, I, I'm, I'm truly, I'm, I'm truly respectful. And I'm honest when I say that. Yeah. Like, you know, I wouldn't have had Cam on my podcast if I wouldn't have oh, said that there yeah. was, it was an eye-opening experience for me. I had a very, very good time with him. And I think we both kind of found a different different appreciation for each other. He's an awesome guy. I love him to death. So it, it's so cool for me to see you guys become friends. Yeah. It, it really is. It's amazing. I think – Comedy and bow hunting have one thing in common is that it's so difficult to get to that elite level. Then once you meet someone, it's like, how many of your, you, how many are there? I mean, how many like legit elite bow hunters are there? Are there even 500 on earth? Oh God, <laughs> it would be way smaller. Same with comedy. Way smaller. Way, same with way, comedy. Way. I think it's probably the same thing. I mean, I know but I would offend people where people would be like, what? I'm not on that list. But I think. It's really small. And and I'm talking on, like, not just a good level. I'm talking on Elite. a level where yeah. if someone said, listen, dude, you have, you have, like, ten cards to play. And these cards, every card has to hit. Who are the people on this card? Yeah. It's small, man. Small. It's small. <laughs> it's small. Is that fair to say? Yes. It's 100%, 100% fair. Yeah. I think it's there's many things in life. And there's a lot of different personalities within those. Like mm-hmm. people, some people have different personalities. Some people get to the same place with a different path. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's abrasive. Sometimes they're the fan favorite. But in the end, like the people that are within that realm... It's like the Big Brother house. There's people that people are rooting for, and there's people that people, you know, are like, I don't know how that guy got there. It doesn't matter. He's there. Yeah. Right? I, it's, it's that old expression, game recognizes game. Yeah. Let's yeah. Let's leave it at that. My brother. Love you. Cheers, brother. All right, everybody. Bye, everybody. See ya.
Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com